Thank you for listening to Bellwether's Wednesday night service every Wednesday night at 6 p.m. sharp. Join us. All right, so that uh, that's a video filmed in London of a conference about a network of churches that are associated, connected, and trying to bring the gospel uh, to a very dark part of the world, which is Europe. Uh, there are not as many churches, uh, not as many Christians. Uh, and Acts 29, we're looking at Acts tonight, Acts 29 uh, would be the chapter that is yet to be written by the church, Acts ends in 28 chapters. And so that network and that conference is about spreading the gospel through planting churches in Europe, which is something Bellwether is going to be a part of. Uh, not this year, but uh, in 15, 2015, God willing, we will expand to a mission and ministry, maybe a church in Europe. Uh, tonight, though, I want to talk about what we're doing this year, but I want to base that in God's Word, in the book of Acts. So if you've got your Bible, turn to Acts 1. Acts is, uh, uh, if not my favorite, it is definitely in the top three of my favorite uh, books of the Bible. It is is very literally an adventure story. Uh, It's got everything from uh, shipwrecks at sea to going into uh, hazardous territory for the gospel, for the church, for Jesus. Now, before I start in Acts 1, I just want to ask a simple question. And we're going to, on Wednesday night, we go through a lot of Scripture, so I'm going to go through several passages. But I want to ask a question. You don't have to answer it, but the question would be, why are we here? You're like, well, I'm here on Wednesday night, I need a connection. Yes, okay, but why are we here as a church? Why are we here as, as Bellwether? Why are we here as Jesus' church? Uh, I don't know if you've ever thought about that, but I would ask you, I'd pray that you, and I'd literally beg you to think about as a Christian, why, why we're here, why we gather as the church. And I would say two things, and those two things are right up on the stained glass window that is above our head. Uh, it is about Jesus, but Jesus is carrying a little baby lamb and there are two grown sheep uh, at each of his legs. And to me, that says evangelism, reaching the baby believers or new believers, and discipleship, growing up, raising up the big sheep to follow him. Now, our staff talks about this a lot, and we say, Bellwether is about two things, real simple. Somebody asks you about Bellwether, what it's about, you say two things, really three words. Others is one of those things, and raising leaders. And you see that in that stained glass window. There's another person, which is that baby sheep, which is the lost sheep, which is the one that Jesus is going after, and then two big sheep that follow him, who I would say Jesus raised up as leaders, and if we follow him, we go to reach the lost. That's the mission of Bellwether. That's the mission of the church. Other people raising up leaders that will go to them to go into all the world, whether it's Europe, whether it's Asia, whether it's Africa, and that work began in Acts. So let's start with Acts 1. And I'm going to read verse 6 through 11. And again, 
Y'all may be here because you're interested in a mission trip. We're going to talk about that specifically. But often it can be, hey, this is our mission trip for this year. I want to center what we do in God's Word. And so it's not just like, well, we're going, we got an opportunity in Honduras, we're going to go down there. No, we're doing this because we're called to do it. We're doing it because it's what the church should do. It's because of what the Bible says. Acts 1, verse 6. Jesus has been resurrected. The disciples are with him. And it says, so when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know the times or the seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the end of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus, who was taken up from you into heaven, will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. Let's stop right there. It's, it's interesting to me, all of Jesus' followers are gathered around, and their main point of interest is, hey, are you going to like bring us glory now? Is your kingdom coming now? And Jesus says, don't worry about the time. I've, I've got my plan. And as always, it's not our timing or our plan. It's God's. But he says, trust in this. You will receive power. I'm going to say that emphatically. I know there's a few of us. Power. I don't know if you believe it. Power. Power to heal. We're going to pray for our brother after this service. Power to heal. Power to heal relationships. Power to go when you don't have courage to go anywhere. Power. Not on our own. You know, we work out or we work on our minds, strengthen our minds, our bodies by the Holy Spirit. Not our own power. Spirit-filled power. Something not of this earth, but the Holy Spirit. And the power comes from Him. And it's power to go. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the ends of the earth. That's locally, next door. They were right near Jerusalem. The area, Judea, Samaria, a place that was very different to Him, and everywhere else. And even after that, even He says that, the words of Jesus... They still look up as he's ascending, and they're kind of like gazing, you know, what, what have we seen, and, you know, just, just don't know. And then angels say, listen, still, what I hear it say is like, still, don't worry. He's coming back. He's coming back just the same way as he left. We can trust in that. That can give us courage. Wherever we're at in life, Jesus is going to make all things right. We, we win. We're, we're not on the losing side. And we have to pick our battles. But we're on the winning team. And so we can go with that courage that Jesus is going to make all things right. And we are called up, just as the preacher said up there, we're called up in this plan to bring healing to all the nations. To all the nations. And God may open a door for us, particularly in India or Honduras, here in Jackson, but all the nations will one day, Revelation says, bow before Jesus, the King, the Lord. So I want to break actually this one verse down with different sections in Acts, Acts 1, 6. As you'll receive power, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, ends of the earth. I want to break those four places down to try to help you see where that is in the Bible, but also help you see where that is like in this day and time, present day, February the 12th, 2014. 
where that is for us. Jerusalem, first off. What is our Jerusalem? Where is that Jerusalem? Well, our Jerusalem would be Jackson, Mississippi. What do we do in our Jerusalem, in this place, in the here and now? Let's turn to Acts 4. Again, we're going to go through several passages. Acts 4, and I'm going to read, skip over one or two pages, verse 5 through verse 13, and then I'm going to read verse 32 through the end of the chapter. And this is what we do uh, individually, or maybe uh, in two, in relationship, or maybe as a family, and then we're going to see what we do as a church. So, what do we do individually? Well, verse 5, it says, The next day, rulers and elders and scribes gathered together in Jerusalem with Annas the high priest, Caiaphas, and John, and Alexander, and all who were of the high priestly family. And when they had set them in their midst, they inquired, By what power, remember that word, power, or by what name did you do this? They had just healed a man. Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers of the people and elders, if we are being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed, let it be known to all of you, And to all the people of Israel, that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, they perceived that they were uneducated common men, they were astonished, and they recognized that they had been with Jesus. What do we do? No matter where you are in life, whether your your education, your work, your career, your family, been divorced, not divorced, kids, not kids, what do we do locally is go, if Christ is in us, and we have the power of the Spirit, and we tell our story. And sometimes it can be as bold as Peter here, saying there's salvation in no one else. A lot of times, if you're in a relationship, you'll get to that point, and God will open the door to say, there's salvation in no one else. No other name can you be saved but by Jesus. But you tell your stories in different ways. And just to generalize it, the story that you have is, hey, I was here, and now because of Jesus, I am here. I was here, and now I'm in this dark valley but I have the community of the church, and more so I've got the power of the Spirit, and now I'm here, and that's my story. Just like the song we sang Sunday, this is my story, this is my song, Blessed Assurance, which Tracy sang. This is my story. I was here. Even though I'm here, good or bad, now I'm here. Tell your story to neighbors, co-workers, spouses, in our homes and in our cities. And then there's something that we do together. It is individual. Peter and John were out in the streets. As they go, they were testifying. But then together as a church. So so we're the church tonight. You know, there's individual Bible study, and then there's corporate Bible study, which we're doing together. And the Spirit reveals different things to you individually than He will reveal together. I believe that's why I'm a pastor. Verse 32, they're together. Like we're together says, now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul, and no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own, but they had everything in common. 
and with great power. There's that word again. Power. The apostles were giving their testimony, their story, to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. There was not a needy person among them, for as many as were owners of land or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet. And it was distributed to each as any had need. Thus Joseph, who was also called by the apostles Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, a Levite, a native of Cyprus, sold a field that belonged to him, brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. A couple things we see here. They are together. In being together, they have power. There is power here. Power to heal. Power to transform. Power to change. Hard hearts. Cold hearts. There wasn't a need. There are no needs. The church shared together, ministered together. That's what we're trying to do. Is how we're growing together. To care for this flock. Care for one another. And they were raising up leaders. One specific leader here is Barnabas. They named Barnabas because he was so encouraging. Are we encouraging to one another? Jeremy and I were talking today. Do we start with an encouraging word? Or is it often a critique? Half full or half empty? Do we encourage one another? Support one another? In the valleys. The church, what we do together is tell our stories individually. Come together. Encourage one another. That's, That's a local mission. Right there. Right here. Now... There are other things that we can do in going out to our Jerusalem, to Jackson. We're talking and praying over, and so you all know, we're going to launch, probably over Lent, uh, a ministry into these neighborhoods and communities, an outreach to what we're calling meet the need, meet the needs of the people in our Jerusalem, as local as we can get, in our corner. We're going to pursue that. We're going to go, we're going to be on mission to all the world, starting Right here. But then we need to expand that mission. There, there are some of y'all here who uh, maybe don't live in the neighborhoods around here. Maybe, maybe it's Madison. Maybe it's East Rankin. Maybe it's just, you know, up North Jackson further. We need to cover more territory than just here. And the disciples and the leaders of this church in Jerusalem do as well. So they begin to go to Judea. Remember, Jerusalem first. Judea. So let's see how they begin, I would say, to do this. This is in Acts 6. Different people from different areas, and the church begins to think about how can we do our mission and reach more people that maybe aren't in our immediate vicinity. How do we do that? Well, we need to raise leaders. Barnabas is one. Acts 6, they raise more. Acts 6, verse 1, it says, In these days, when the disciples were increasing in number... A complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. And the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, It is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And what they said pleased the whole gathering, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith in the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Procurus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch. These they set before the apostles, and they prayed and laid their hands on them. And the word of God continued to increase, 
And the number of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. A couple things I want us to see here is there were other people in need. They were different people. They were from the area. And the church like, we've got to minister to them. And the leaders of the church, uh, the teachers and the prayer warriors, was like, we've got to focus on this. So, so we've got to raise up leaders. If we're going to cover all our ground and all our people and all our homes, we need leaders. And this is it's actually what they would call deacons. A deacon is a servant leader. We, we have a formal deacon team here. And they don't know it, but they're going to start serving more because if you're a deacon by name, then you, you serve in ministry to the community and to the church. And so they raise up leaders. Stephen is one of those. He gets killed later for serving the Lord. Sometimes those things happen. But also, I wanted you to see verse 7. It's very interesting. It says, The word of God continued to increase. The number of disciples multiplied. It's easy to read that. The word of God increased, multiplied. So people who were saved uh, increased. Yeah, but that's not what it said. It said disciples multiplied. Did you catch that? A disciple is not necessarily a new believer. It's the raising of leaders. So leaders in Christ, disciples, people who could lead and serve and tell their story, that's what multiplied by the mission, by the service. So whether it's a a global mission trip or whether it is local, our prayer, the reason we go is not to have a great experience in Honduras. Selfishly, it's to raise you up as a leader, as a disciple. Disciples are multiplied so that more people will come to know Christ. Again, locally in our area, in our Judea, and around the world. So Jerusalem, Judea, then he says Samaria, and Samaria is, is very uh, interesting. You probably know the story of the Good Samaritan. I want us to look in Acts 8. Uh, Samaritans, just to give you a, a, a context, were not just like different folks who lived in a different area. They were different uh, racially and culturally, uh, didn't speak the same language, might have spoken what we think of as the sp- same language, but they could have spoken a different way. It was just different folks. And the native Jewish folks did not like Samaria or folks who came there. And there was a divide. But Jesus says, you go to your Samaria. So I want to read a couple verses in Acts 8, and then I want us to talk about our Samaria. Verse 4, we meet Philip again, who became a deacon in the other earlier passage, verse 4, it says, Those who were scattered went about preaching the word. Philip went down to the city of Samaria and proclaimed to them the Christ. And the crowds with one accord paid attention to what was being said by Philip when they heard him and saw the signs that he did. For unclean spirits came out of many who were possessed, crying with a loud voice, and many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. So there was much joy in that city. Philip goes down to Samaria, brings the gospel, preached Jesus, healings took place, spirits came out. Skip to verse 14. Now, when the apostles at Jerusalem heard Samaria had received the word of God, they sent to them Peter and John, who came down and prayed for them, that they might receive the Holy Spirit. For he had not yet fallen on any of them, but they had only been baptized 
in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then they laid their hands on them, and they received the Holy Spirit. Now, I'm not going to really talk about baptism for salvation, baptism of the Holy Spirit, but the Holy Spirit wasn't there, but they had their salvation, but they didn't have the power of the Holy Spirit. What I want to focus, though, is just going to Samaria. That was a big enough deal as it was. Samaria, again, different racially, different culturally, but yet Philip went, and he preached Christ, and people came to know Christ. And then, these other leaders, other apostles, Peter and John, went and gave them the Holy Spirit. And they were filled with the Holy Spirit, power of the Holy Spirit. So we're like, okay, so what does this mean for us? What's our Samaria? Oh, we got our Samaritan, we got our Jerusalem context, we got the area, but Samaria is, is different, folks. It's racially different. This is not like throwing the race card or anything. But yeah, it's the black-white. It's also Hispanic. And do we have the courage to go to see this place be a, a true uh, multiracial, multi-ethnic church? It's not now. It's not. I mean, you know, look around. Uh, it should be. It's not, again, not because it's some social issue. It's because it's Jesus' church. And if we look around our city and community, we're not only just in Jerusalem, we're in Samaria too. And so for us, I mean, one of my big hearts and visions, and I know it's Jeremy's, and I know it's Chris's, is that this would truly be multiracial, multiethnic. What that means is that on a Wednesday night, one day, and pray that it's soon, we look around and there are different races. And one day soon, there's a, a broad Hispanic ministry coming out of Bellwether Church. Maybe it's born in Honduras and comes here. Chris is putting the pressure on us. He's already learned Spanish. I've got to do that. So I'm starting lessons, actually, uh, in the next couple weeks going down there. But seriously, there are people here who need to be reached, and we need to have that ministry here. The power comes not from us. And a lot of folks, look, it's hard the Bible Belt. It may be tough to kind of crank into our minds. That's where we're going. It may not be tomorrow. It may not be next year. But we've got to reach Samaria. We've got to go to Samaria. The Samaria that's here. Why? It's not because it's my agenda or the right thing to do. It's Acts 1-8, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria. Going on, I mean, I'm not even going to read this whole chapter, but another Samaria is the Ethiopian that the same man, same leader, Philip, reaches out to and proclaims Christ and is saved. So Ethiopian, different person. It's a Samaria. Different folks. Different backgrounds, different colors, different cultures, maybe different languages. Here, it's the vision God has for this church. And then to the ends of the earth. So Acts 1.8 says Jerusalem, says Judea, says Samaria, and then go to the ends of the earth. So the best person in Acts that I believe just exemplifies this is Paul. I mean, no, no one else went further than Paul. He may have gone to Spain, although it's not documented. He wanted to go to Spain. But he definitely went. And he went to different countries, different nations, started churches, proclaimed Christ, and the church, the church grew. If you just flip to Acts 16, I want to go through a couple things here about the ends of the earth. Acts 16, verse 11. 
And I'm going to go through several verses, uh, not a whole passage. But here, Paul is going to a place called Philippi, which is a Roman colony. It says, verse 11, Setting sail from Troas, we made a direct voyage to Samothrace, and the following day to Neapolis, and from there to Philippi, which is a leading city of the district of Macedonia and a Roman colony. This was beginning to be for Paul the ends of the earth. It was outside his comfort zone, outside Jerusalem, but also a Roman colony. It was Rome, which meant power, which meant strength, military. It was, it was different. And Paul went there. And he meets three people whom he brings to the Lord in Philippi, and they all helped start a church, a very different church, a very diverse church. One was Lydia. Lydia was actually just like a, a, rich, just like a, a rich lady who was a businessman. She was very wealthy. Uh, matter of fact, if you, this may be more information than you want tonight, but the church at Philippi was the church that Paul wrote to in Philippians, and they were like a well-to-do, well-off church, or they just had a lot of money, and they gave a lot to Paul. And part of that was probably financed by Lydia, this lady who was wealthy and made this purple cloth, it says, and she became saved. She's a member of that church. Then there was this, if you go on, there was this slave girl, says in verse 16, they were met by a slave girl who had a spirit of divination and brought her owners much gain by fortune-telling. Paul turned around and said, in the name of Jesus, come out. She was saved. The spirit came out. And this slave girl, who you might think of as someone who might have been captured in like sex trafficking or, or rescue. I mean, she had demons inside of her, so some bad stuff had really happened where she was possessed, and I believe that when you have things like, and one of the, our missions is in trafficking in India, when you have that kind of darkness, I mean, it enters into the soul, into the life of a person, and it takes a spiritual cleansing. And Paul did it. She was part of that church. Then you have, you go down, you have a jailer, so they threw Paul in jail, and there was an earthquake, and the jailer was afraid because, you know, the bars were broken, they were afraid he was going to be killed. And Paul brought him to the Lord. It says, verse 29, The jailer called for the lights and rushed in. Trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved. You and your house, your family, your kids. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him and all who were in his house. I think of the jailer as like, you know, just this common man, you know, big dude, blue collar, working. He was part of the church at Philippi. So he had Lydia, he had the slave girl, he had the jailer that Paul, going to the ends of the earth, brought to Christ, and they started the church. And then last, the last passage I'll read is in Acts 18. Again, ends of the earth, different people, different contexts. This is in Athens, which is in Greece. Philippi, a Roman colony. Greece, very different, not Rome. Actually, Acts 17, verse 16, it says, Paul was waiting for them in Athens. His spirit was provoked within him as he saw that the city was so full of idols. So he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and the devout people and in the marketplace every day with those who happened to be there. What did he say? Well, Scripture gives us a speech or a sermon that Paul tells these men. And these were, these were like intellectuals. Uh, these were not common folks. Uh, these were not poor folks. 
They were Athenians who were like just the creme de la creme of culture and intellect. So Paul shifts gears, changes tactics, and he says, verse 22, Men of Athens, I perceive in every way you are very religious. For as I passed along and observed the objects of your worship, I found also an altar with this inscription to the unknown God. What therefore you worship as unknown, this I proclaim to you. The God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he gives himself to all mankind life and breath and everything. And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place, that they should seek God in the hope that they might feel their way toward him and find him. Yet he is actually not far from each one of us, for in him we live and move and have our being, as even some of your own poets have said, for we are indeed his offspring. Being then God's offspring, we ought not to think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image formed by the art or imagination of man. The times of ignorance God overlooked, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent, because he has fixed the day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed, and of this he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. Now it's interesting, in that sermon, Paul never used the name of Jesus. He never says Jesus. He says a man, but if you go down, he, he never uses Jesus. He's meeting those folks where they are, the people where they are. He's on mission. He's going to the ends of the earth. And they're very high-minded and astute, intellectual, cultural. And he ties what they see in creation and all their philosophy and all their wisdom to the God of the Bible to give them a starting point to begin to lead them to Christ. And then he does say that this man, it's Jesus, who doesn't name, was raised from the dead. So for all of this, in Acts, you see the church start in Jerusalem and very local, raises leaders to spread around the area. It starts going to different places, to the Samarias, starts going to the ends of the earth, different nations, different empires, Roman Empire, different countries. And so if we are his, for Jesus, and if we're his church, which we are, then our call is the same. Ground zero, this corner, this area, different places, the ends of the earth. Now, I don't know how some of y'all feel called or, or where you feel called. I mean, we, we definitely have people called. Honduras is a ministry that's grown, and I know a lot of y'all are going. Some of y'all feel very called locally. That's good, too. I, I want to push you to go somewhere. And I'm not mean in Honduras. I'm, go somewhere. It may be your next-door neighbor. But go for Christ. Our theme verse, this whole church, is John 10, 16. And it's up on the stained glass window too. Jesus says, there are sheep that don't know me. I've got to go to them. They'll hear my voice. They'll hear his voice through you. And they'll know it's Jesus. And they'll come to him. So, so my prayer is that we're always a going church. We're always a sending church. And you may go somewhere that you stay. Or you may come back. But we're always going. We're always sending and so, you know, we can list out mission trips, but it's got to be tied to something deeper than just like a great experience in India. It's got to be tied to our call, to, to our life in Christ. We've got to be tied to God's Word. We've got to connect what we're doing there to what the Bible tells us to do and the example that we have 
in Peter and in John and in Barnabas and in Philip and in Paul. So some of y'all are going to be like Paul and just go, go, go. Tabor, you just want to go, go, go. Ends of the earth. Some of you, Peter and John, just right here. And that's okay. But you all are called. And you are all called to go. Go somewhere. And I'll, I'll preach this on Sunday mornings too, but I want you to feel the call. I want you to know the call. And even say, I don't exactly know where God, but I know I'm called. And I'll get the courage and I'll get the power, not from power positive thinking, but from your Holy Spirit. And then we'll come back to that well of the Holy Spirit over and over. That's why you're here on a Wednesday night. Praise God. That's why we come on Sunday mornings. That's why we gather together like Acts 4.32. That we're together. And we go. We gather and we scatter. So, y'all are all called. And I'm going to present some opportunities to go, specifically to the ends of the earth right now. And I, I'd ask y'all tonight, I'm going to give y'all like basic information, but I want y'all to pray about this, and then we're going to close the time of prayer and if you've got any other specific questions, I'll be here. I know Cherry's here. Tabor's here. He's helping lead some mission. And, uh, and we'll talk even more. So Honduras, if y'all are interested in going there, we've got two weeks that we've planned trips. First one is July 10th through the 17th. The second one is July 17th through the 24th. So two back-to-back weeks, two teams. God willing, two teams of 40. And let me just say this. If we have more than that, we'll go a third week to Honduras and bring a team because July 17th through the 24th is almost pretty full as it is. July 10th through the 17th, just so you'll know, we're going with a church in Oxford. It's a church called Grace Bible Church. One of my best friends in ministry is a pastor up there. They got 20 spots, and Bellwether has 20 spots on that first week. But if that's what works for you, you know, there'll be a place. July 17th through 24th, we got 40 spots. Uh, one big question folks have is the cost. Uh, generally, it's never been over 1500 to go to Honduras. And let me say this, I really hope that cost is not an issue for you. Uh, we will help you. We'll find a way. If we have to raise the money, if I have to raise the money, if you feel led to go, we'll get you there. Uh, what will we do in Honduras? Uh, many of y'all have already been. been. Uh, we build houses. We have a, uh, a ministry to families and kids, a vacation Bible school. We usually go to two, if not three, churches in the area, worship, uh, just get to know the people of that church, uh, and we live together, and we learn together, and we grow together, and we're raised up together. I mean, one of the best things about these Honduras trips, I mean, I think this is my eighth or ninth one, is uh, just the shot in the arm it gives to folks, I mean, like a discipleship. It is, it's like multiplying disciples. Uh, but you will serve, you will get dirty, right, Joe? Down deep in the hole, we have to dig a hole for a big septic tank, it's always fun. And, uh, but each trip right now, we're going to build two houses each, two, uh, first week, two, the second week. Uh, these are families that have nothing. Uh, I mean, literally they're, uh, a side of their house now could be the side of a mountain. Uh, and the other side could be a sheet that's strung up. So they will get a home. Uh, they'll get God's word. There'll be a presentation at the end. It's a, uh, it's a very beautiful thing. So building, uh, family ministry, uh, one day we do take off and we, um, we go and give uh, food vouchers, which is uh, basically money for a month to eat uh, to, to really, really poor families, the poorest of poor, sometimes up in these mountain areas that are fairly remote. Uh, so it is, it's just a spectacular week. Um, I, I do it more almost now selfishly just because everything I get from it. So July 10th through the 17th and July 17th through the 24th, no more than 1500 I want y'all to go. 
Another mission, and this is one everybody's like, man, this is too far. And it's really, Tabor and I have been, James Madarala couldn't be here tonight, but it is to India. We've really grown a mission and ministry to India. Uh, it's going to be a little bit longer, there's going to be a bit more money, but if you feel really led to go to that part of the world, uh, we want to make that happen too. Uh, we're going to Hyderabad, India, which there's a school that Bellwether's supporting now, monthly, for kids that... Uh, are just off the street, slum kids that come for every day and they're ministered to, uh, they're loved on, they're taught uh, academics and they're taught the Bible. So slum, slum kids, like slum dog millionaire, they come. And then we are going to support uh, financially and maybe even have some men construction work to build uh, a rescue home for women who are rescued from uh, sex trafficking. Uh, y'all heard me talk about this in November when we came back. Uh, there's a place now called Mahima which in the language there, it means hope. And we're going to help build Mahima 2. Uh, that would probably house 15 to 20 uh, girls, let me emphasize that, who are rescued uh, from the trafficking industry. So that will be in Calcutta. So we'll go to two places in India, Hyderabad and Calcutta. And then on the way back, uh, a good friend of mine from Oxford, Mississippi, she and her husband are actually planting a church about an hour outside of Dubai. And as it is, on the flight from Calcutta to Atlanta, you have a stopover in Dubai. And they are, uh, they are reaching the Muslim world, the Muslim community. So we're trying to work it out where we get an overnight and can worship with this church in Dubai on our way back. So really three stops, Calcutta, Hyderabad, Dubai. And those dates right now are November 2nd through the 13th. It'll be a little longer trip, and it's going to be a bit more expensive. Uh, because of airfare and the time, but we're going to keep it, our goal is to keep it under 3000 so it's more expensive, but if you feel led to go, we want to make it happen for y'all to go. And then last, and this is more for, towards 15, but it does tie into the video, uh, I, th- I call you know, Global Missions Phase 1 for Bellwethers Honduras, that's thriving. Phase 2 has been India, and it is growing. Uh, I think we'll probably have 10 to 15 go to India. Phase 3 will be Europe. Uh, We hope to connect with some of these networks that you saw. Uh, There's a church in Salerno, Italy, that's actually part of this conference uh, that my buddy in Oxford is going to in May to really lay the groundwork for us to take a team to Italy in 15 to help support this church. So if that's something you're interested in, it won't happen this year, but we're planning that for 15. So God is doing great things around the world. He's doing great things in Bellwether Church. He's doing great things in you. I want to help you go, and that may just be down the street, or it may be to India. I just want to help you, and we want to encourage you here to go to make that happen. So let's use this time as we close. Uh, Chris, if you will uh, play some music, open us up, some time for prayer. And I'd like to specify this time of prayer is where is God calling you? Uh, It doesn't have to be on these mission trips, but it very well could be this year, you, your family. Uh, It may be, you know, just in our neighborhood. We need that. We need Jerusalem just as much as the ends of the earth. But I'd ask you to specifically pray, pray right now. God, where, where are you calling me to go? You and for your kingdom. And give me the power from your spirit to go there to respond. Let me open this up in prayer. And then uh, we'll close the altar. And then Cherry's here. Any other specific questions, sign up. Hey, sign up tonight for these trips. And, uh, and we'll talk more about it. Dear Lord, I thank you that you call us all. It's a great call. It is purpose. It is meaning. Um, And even if we just 
have never really glanced through Acts. I mean, we, we see this, this great story that we're connected to that began in Jerusalem, but is now it's going into, into all the earth, all the world. Thank you for the gift of, of giving us this purpose. More so, giving us this power. I pray for these people specifically here tonight that they, they'd be honest with their hearts and, and that they would have the, uh, the strength and the power from your spirit to maybe push things aside that may be blocking a call, a real call. That may be uh, their past. Uh, that may be uh, a way of thinking about church or about their life or, uh, or times of they just don't feel up to it or they're depressed or they don't, they don't feel like they're worthy. They are. They are. We are because of Jesus. And that you give us the clarity to know that we are called to go and that we'd see where. In Jesus' name, amen.